You're listening to Infinite Banking Radio with your host, Patrick Donahoe. You know, there's solutions out there to every one of the financial problems that Americans are facing today, and those solutions are right underneath their nose. The Infinite Banking concept has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals manage their hard-earned money effectively using time-tested financial principles that cannot fail. The intent of this podcast is to awaken these time-tested principles and reinstate certainty into the financial makeup of Americans. Our society is saturated in debt. Our portfolios are made up of the same speculative investments and theories that have failed us time and time again. The banking and securities industries have ruled financial planning for decades, and the only true benefactors are them. The infinite banking concept has proven to be the ideal solution. Hi, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to uh, Infinite Banking Radio. This is the December podcast. Sorry, it's been uh, a few months, but, you know, it's that's the holidays. But uh, glad to be with you, and I'm very excited for today's uh, podcast. I have some uh, two very special guests, uh, two of my favorite people in the world to, to talk to. And uh, they're both here. They're both they're both uh, in, in town and in the office, and we should have a, a really good conversation today. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for the very first time, uh, don't hesitate to go back and check out our previous uh, previous podcast. We also have a, a really cool YouTube channel with both videos that we have done and also uh, videos of, of just other, uh, other things we find interesting and, uh, and applicable to the infinite banking concept. You can also visit our website. We have uh, some articles on there relating to uh, to infinite banking and real estate investors, infinite banking and professionals such as uh, doctors and dentists and, and chiropractors, and a lot of other interesting information on there. We have a really cool interactive blog that has our different video posts, some funny things on there, uh, really interesting articles, and uh, and so forth. And so. Um, don't you know? Please, please uh, go and, and visit and take advantage of, of that. We put a lot of time and effort into that, and, and we'll uh, and, and definitely can see a, a huge value to the people that do study and read up on uh, some of the topics that we uh, we get into. So today, we're going to get into a little bit about uh, infinite banking, but this podcast is going to be a little bit more uh, philosophical, and uh, that's just kind of how we how how we roll. But Brad uh, Brad Gibb. Is uh, is in the office with us uh, today, as well as uh, Trevor Trevor Keel. Both have been on uh, previous podcasts, and so it's awesome to to have you guys here today. It's good to be back, Patrick. Thanks awesome. for thanks for having us. So again, for those of you who are listening for the first time, they they did some introductions, uh, you know, a couple months ago when they uh, when they were on. But why don't you guys just take a, a moment and uh, and just introduce yourself and let us know who you are, and uh, and then we'll we'll start up on our on our topics for today. Trevor, why don't you go first? Yeah, my name's Trevor Keel. Uh, I live in Houston, Texas, um, up here for the holidays. It's good to be actually in office uh, with Patrick instead of over the phone. Uh, but became interested in infinite banking concept a couple years ago and uh, just have, have developed a, a relationship with Patrick, not only with, with uh, banking and insurance, but also uh, economics and some of the, the things that are happening in society today that we enjoy talking about so i appreciate being here cool brad yep uh it's good to be back like patrick mentioned we did a podcast a while ago but uh my path with, to meeting patrick was very similar to trevor's uh i uh, studied accounting and i work at a cpa firm here and in my studies of money led me to the studies of uh, life insurance and my economic philosophies led me down the same road and and my path crossed with patrick and we've been working on educating and and uh, 
furthering the cause, I guess you'd say, ever since. So. Cool. Well, awesome. It's, it's good to have you. It, it really is good to have you both on. So today, as, as far as direction is concerned, my uh, my thoughts are kind of leaning leaning toward our generation because we're all roughly all roughly the same age, and I think that our generation is. Uh, is going to be responsible for a lot in, in the future, uh, and specifically the near future, probably five five to ten years down the road. Um, I, I've talked extensively on on the podcast uh, just about demographic trends and so forth, and you know one of the most disturbing ones that was probably first, not necessarily first brought to the forefront, but uh, probably more widely spread to the forefront was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad. Rich Dad's Prophecy. Uh, and in the book, he talks uh, a lot about markets, talks a lot about the, the demographic of, of baby boomers. And when I kind of got into that, that's what really started to spark spark my interest and kind of got me kind of got me concerned. So if we look today, the baby boomer, baby boomer generation is the generation that was born uh, after World War II. And the baby boomer generation is is four times the size of our, our generation. The X generation is just over 20 million. The Y generation is just under 20 million. The baby boomer generation is 80 million. Now that trend didn't just happen in the United States. That, you know, World War II was a world war. So all soldiers in most countries that were involved in, uh, you know, in that conflict had the same demographic trends. So if you look at the baby boomer generations and the, you know, succeeding four generations, that's what it takes, those succeeding four generations to make up the baby boomer generation. Now, if you look at baby boomers and what baby boomers were doing around the time they were our age, okay, they were facing a, a presidential or uh, you know, a, a, sh- a shift in politics. So who is the late 70s? You had you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, you know, had, you know, some, there's some inflation issues there, some very high taxes. And then what happened after Jimmy Carter? You had Ronald, Ronald Reagan come in and, you know, very uh, proponent of uh, Art Laffer and used, you know, the Laffer curve in association with Reaganomics. Um, but during that period of time, I mean, think about if you guys were having to pay, you know, top, top marginal tax bracket of 70%. Okay, what would you try to do to not pay taxes? I mean, you'd find every write-off possible. Okay, and ironically, during the late 70s, what financial vehicle was introduced under a certain section of the IRS tax code? The 401k. Now, what can you do to a 401k in relation to taxes? You can contribute without having to, you know, if you contribute $15,000 a year, you don't have to pay taxes on that on that $15,000. So, the baby boomer generation was our age during that time frame. Okay, and thirty, you know, thirty years old or so forth, just just in their prime, no longer being promised any type of pension benefit, mm-hmm. now having to fend for themselves as far as their retirement is concerned. Okay, so here they have high taxes, and here they have a huge demographic all starting to pump money in tax deferred into the markets, and things supply and demand sets in, and you have obviously more demand than supply. What's going to happen to prices? So you see a 20-year period of time of very high prices in the markets during the 1980s and, 19, and 1990s. You had, I mean, double-digit returns. And I think we became punch drunk, we, you know, speaking of society, punch drunk to the market. Okay, and everybody, everything retirement-wise these days is, is based on the market. But what people don't realize, and this is what was pointed out in Kiyosaki's book, is that come five to 10 years from now, once the RMDs or required minimum distributions of 6% are required by individuals to start being taken out of their retirement plans, I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a huge sell-off because again, you have this huge demographic, okay, that has been 
basically, oh, I don't want to get into another section of you know, Social Security and Medicare. I'll get into that maybe in a second. But you have this you know, huge population that just lost, I mean, two years ago, 30 to 40 percent of their, of their wealth, okay, now, wanting to, now wanting to retire. Okay, but yet, what are they facing? They're facing, hey, we're no longer living to 70 years old. We're no longer living to 75. We're living to like mid-80s, early 90s. Or 100. Or, or, even, or even higher. And medical technology hasn't just you know, stopped being invented. I mean, it's going to continue to be invented. And so if you look at kind of a perfect storm, you have all these things kind of happening at once, and it's going to all come to this culminating end of, of, of a pretty big deal. And so the reason why I want to bring that up, Brad, do you have something to say? I was just going to say, to sum up what you're saying here is really to, to, to go down the brass tacks, you've got 80 million people who want to retire. The majority of their retirement is in the market. They have to somehow sell. 80 million people have to sell their retirement to 40 million people. Well, tw- yeah. Tw- right. 80 million amongst four generations. Right. But really, you know, if you want to compare apples to apples, it's 80 million selling to 20 million. To 20 million. So there's a problem that's brewing as these people want to retire. Well, not only that, but talking about Kiyosaki, you know, he wrote a book recently called The Conspiracy of the Rich, where he talks about this idea where, yeah. uh, and Patrick, you understand this better than I do, but even if these baby boomers don't, want to take money out of, of the market or out of their 401k. They're being forced to. Yeah. What age, is it 70? 70 and a half. 70 and a half, yeah. they're now forced to pull money out of the market even if they don't want to. Yeah. So it definitely will be a huge sell-off. Yep. And at another time, and we're going to get into a couple couple different topics here, but you have to look at what they're depending on as far as retirement is concerned. I mean, again, 80 million people all in one time or another during their lives contributed to Social Security. Okay, but yet they're going to be receiving so many more benefits, so much more money from Social Security than they ever put in. Yeah, same math applies. Yeah. We've got 20 million people that now have to support 80 million people yep. living on Social Security. Yep. So the pyramid's upside down. It, it, yeah. it worked for the last 40 years because we had the pyramid the right way. We yeah. had a whole bunch of people supporting a, a small amount of people, but that's now inverted. Yep. And it that is the increasing burden that's going to be placed on our shoulders and and yeah. for the, the following generations. The largest Ponzi scheme in history is going to collapse. <laughs> but see, but here's even what's what's scarier is you have, uh, let's see, so four, five, six times, six times the promised benefits in Medicare than you do in Social Security. That's what's even scarier. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, individuals these days, and this, this could be a whole topic in and of itself, but individuals these days, there's so much emphasis on prolonging life. I mean, e- even if it costs a million dollars or two million or three million or four million or ten million dollars for an additional day, people pay it. Okay. So as far as medical uh, technology is concerned, your people who are getting older and older and older and older, brains are dying, bodies are able to be stabilized and and kept alive. So you have a lot of benefits coming from the government in order to order to fund that. Now, where does Medicare funding come from? Employer tax, you know, payroll taxes. Okay, Medicare. So anyway. You have again these skewed demographics. Okay, they're you know basically coming to a, a perfect storm. I don't, if there's like a, a a word for you know ten times or a hundred times the magnitude of the worst storm that's ever existed, that's probably what it is. Now we don't do this to, to scare people. I mean, there's going to be some things that, are, that that happen. So RMDs require minimum distributions. I mean, if, could if, it could it could change. Okay, um, IRS can step in, and you know, there's a reason why there's tens of thousands of pages in the tax code is because they've stepped in time and time and time and time and time and time and time again to change things. But the thing that that, that we're getting at here, Patrick, you mentioned it in your opening, there's an underlying philosophy 
that won't change. Yeah. You can play with the numbers, you can play with the parts, but we've been building something that is not sustainable because mm. it's not built on sound fundamental principle. Yep. And, and we've been living in an unprincipled way and been getting away with it for the last 40 years. Yep. But that, you know, you got to, you got to pay the the piper, pay piper. And, and it's and it's going to happen yeah and that's and you you've alluded to something that you know we've been we've been talking about or at least on this podcast for for a number of years is the idea of um, being self-reliant or being being a producer having a producer mentality because if you look at you know one of the other things that's kind of scary is that you know every other child 50% of the children in the United States i mean 50% are receiving food stamps Okay, that's like, I think it's 40, there's 40 million or so people that are receiving food stamps. Okay, then the level of welfare. Now, food stamps, are they good? I mean, yeah, you can, you can identify a social need for food stamps. You can identify a social need for welfare. Okay, however, people are not using it how it was meant to be used. Okay, and so when individuals go on welfare, what starts to happen? Dependency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what comes as a result of dependency? entitlement and you have a lot of people that have this entitlement mentality as far as what does what what should or what the government has to do for us and that's destructive and what happens too is you have items that were once a luxury now become essential yeah Uh, an example is uh i have a patient in my in my practice who is a social worker she was telling me the other day that now is part of welfare they're now distributing cell phones to individuals because a cell phone has now become a necessity what was once a luxury is now a necessity so this entitlement mentality like you said it's no longer i'm entitled to food Mm -hmm. it's i'm entitled to a house a car a cell phone cable tv internet and the list goes on on and on and on yeah if you if you look at at the definition of poverty it's changed over time. That, in my mind, isn't something that should change. If we declare a war on poverty mm-hmm. and, and we want to eradicate it, if we went back to the original definition when that, te- you know, quote-unquote yeah. war was declared, we won. Yeah. Nobody, is poor. I mean, very yeah. few people yeah. are living in that type of circumstance. Yeah. But mm-hmm. because they keep changing the definition based yeah. on what's out there today, they, they just want so many people in that demographic, they're just going to keep raising the bar so that so many people always fit and there's always the need and and they can service that. Yeah. And I think, again, going going to the, the psychology behind it, because I think once once you have something that's given to you that you have not earned, it becomes an addiction. And people, you know, there's an addiction behind getting something for nothing. I know you were just joking because you did you did your MBA in, in, uh, in Las Vegas with your, you know, your DMD. But... Uh, but you learned about gaming, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why do people go to, to Vegas? It's the, some, it's the something for nothing mentality. It's part of our, it's part of a drive. It's, it's kind of a, a crazy, crazy concept. Okay, but once p- these people receive it, okay, or once individuals start to receive welfare, food stamps, et cetera, it's like it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And what does that do to the productivity of that individual? I mean, this individual could have been the next Einstein. This individual could have been the next, you know, president of the United States. It could have been the next... You know, whatever they could have invented the cure for cancer. I mean, who knows where these individuals would be if, if they didn't have that psychological change? Now, I'm not that, that's kind of extreme. I mean, it's right. kind, it's kind of extreme, but at the same time, it proves it proves the point that when when you take away self reliance from an individual, you inhibit human nature, yeah. especially to learn and to progress. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I think trial and tribulation creates character, yeah. and it pushes you to to the limits where you do create something out of nothing. Yep. 
you know, an example I just recently read, um, Larry Miller's biography. Oh, The Driven? Yeah. Great you book. Know, Larry yeah. Miller is, is an icon here in Utah. But uh, an example he talked about was, you know, his his wife and him, you know, grew up in challenging circumstances. Their families were poor. So much to the fact that his wife's family, they had one light bulb in their home that they would take from one room and to the next. And switch it to the next. And switch it from room to room because they couldn't afford yeah. additional light bulbs. But that was just something they did, and it made them better for it. Yeah. Today, that wouldn't even be acceptable. No, yeah, it would, I mean, you wouldn't even. You'd have, have, you'd have like, the like local that. news channel over there. <laughs> <laughs> Making a huge store out of not somebody not having a light bulb so for Christmas. So a, a lot of times adversity is what creates innovation. Yeah. No, it's it's and a human so. it's a hu- it's a principle of human nature. I mean, yeah. I working out. I mean, what the, and I've talked about this before, but you work out. How do you make progress? You do it by ripping your muscles open, mm-hmm. and then what happens? Your body builds on top of that and compensates for that. That's just how just how human nature works. The principle of failure is just as if not more important than the principle of success. Yeah. Okay. And and there's no <clears throat> by trying to level the playing field and have everybody be okay and taken care of. It's it's like passing a law against gravity. It, you can't do it. So mm-hmm. the only thing you can do is not let anybody get up on a cliff. You, you, you can only take the top off, you can't really take the bottom off. And that's what happens to people's mentality. When they're relieved of, of the, the potential consequence, it's not because something has fundamentally changed, it's mm-hmm. because they're not allowed to succeed. Because with success comes the potential for failure. Yeah. And so you're coddled through this lifestyle of you get 12 years education, then you get four more, and then you potentially get two or four or six more, mm-hmm. and then you get a job where you just have to show up to your desk nine to five, and, yeah. and you're guaranteed a paycheck, and then you're guaranteed retirement from cradle to grave, and you, you've taken away that pinnacle of success in exchange for a hammock that won't let you fall. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a really great analogy. It is good, and you know, this is kind of off topic or taken a little too far, but we're, we're essentially, <laughs> we're creating human beings with this type of mentality. You know, I was talking to one of my coworkers. He has a son who, you know, does sports at the YMCA. And he was telling me how they've they've made it illegal to keep score. You you can't keep score anymore. You have to just let them play. And you can't you can't uh, congratulate them for doing a good a good thing or reprimand them for doing a bad thing. It's just every they want everyone on the on a level playing field and they want everyone to be the same. And you just think, I mean, psychologically, what what is that creating? I mean, because in the real world, there is there is winners and losers. Yeah. There is competition. Yeah. And so anyway, that's kind of off the top of it. But I thought I found that interesting. No, again, it's it's part of life. Your your life is just a culmination of choices, mm-hmm. and those choices either lead to you know benefits or they lead to, to consequences. And as you said, Brad, so elo- eloquently. I mean, you know, part part of success is uh, is that failure is that failure principle, and you risk failing if you want to try to succeed. But yet, we're taking that out, and you know, we're all just buying into it. That's and that's kind of where I want to transition to next is that us as a society, we're just buying into this. We're just saying, okay, yep, hey, no score. Oh, I can see that it would offend that person. They would feel bad, and them feeling bad would create some psychological block that they'd never be able to succeed for the rest of their life, which I think is horse dung okay but you know think think about it and we've just accept how many people have accepted that because rationally speaking you can rationalize that 
Okay, now you can rationalize the other side of it very easily by the whole principle of competition and growth and so forth. But at the same time, you can rationalize, you can rationalize that, having, having an equal playing field. But we're all different. We're all maybe created with the same similar opportunities, but we're all different. And you can't just, you know, cookie cutter, make people into a certain mold. But that's what we've become. Because as you said, Brad, we have this social expectation of where where we, you know, where we're born, what we do, you do the ballet lessons, you do the piano, and you do this, and you go to school, you go to, you know, kindergarten, you go, you, you go through the same exact, you know, routine as the next door neighbor. Okay, and that's kind of destructive. Yeah, and, and you, the direction you're headed here is, is the education of people today. And I found it interesting. I've got a lot of people close to me that are going for higher education. And these are individuals who are 30 and 31 and 32 and have never collected a, a paycheck toward their, I mean, they've worked their way through school and stuff. That's not what I'm trying to say, but they're not in their careers yet. They're not producing in society yet. And they're 30 and 35 years old. If you think about the, the baby boomer generation who created a lot of this wealth that we're all living off of, they were working when they were 10 and 12 and 14 yeah. years yeah, old. Yeah, that's another great, So yeah. not only do we have, I mean, you go back to that math, yeah. 80 million people trying to, 20 million trying to support 80 million, but yeah. those 20 million aren't willing or able to work until they're 30 and 35 and 40 years old. They only have 20 or 30 years yeah. because we all want to retire when we're 55. Yeah. It It's... That, that goes along with the entitlement mentality. We, we've, we've achieved such levels of success that we all think we're entitled to what we call higher education and vacation time and early retirements and all this Sit kind down. of stuff. And yeah. It, yeah. It, it's perpetuating. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just reading an article by Lou Rockwell the other day where he was talking about because jobs are so scarce right now, that's what people are doing. They're going back to school mm-hmm. because then they can put off paying off their loans. They're no longer in a repayment. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of putting it off. So you Kicking got the people can. that are 35, yeah. 40 years old that are, you know, in higher education. And he talks about how in the in the 80s during the Cold War, you, you know who had the, the highest number of PhDs in the world? Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union. <laughs> because there was no there was no way to produce. Yeah. There was no way to get a good job. So they just kept going to, to school. school. They just kept going to school. Interesting. No, and I think... You know, again, going to I think the, the the saving generations, which are probably the X and Y generations, were the generations. You know, I'm kind of at the tail end of the X generation, but Y Y generation were were the two demographics that are going to have to pick you know pick up the pieces of this mess that's being created for us right now. But yet, what are, what are the social expectations or the social practices or behavior? of X and Y generationalists. I don't even know if that's a word. But, you know, it it is the whole school mentality. But at the same time, I was talking to my my younger brother the other day, and he lives in a a house with, I think, six or seven other guys who are all working, but they spend, you know, six, seven hours a day playing World of Warcraft. So here you have these extracurricular activities that are being participated by individuals, which are really not productive, okay? And the amount of books that are being read uh, especially books pertaining to applicable subjects, you know, very lackluster. Okay, the, the the knowledge base of the X and Y generation. I mean, they know exactly who the cast of Jersey Shore is, but you know, they won't know that they don't know the first thing about how the executive branch, their judicial branch, or legislative branch is set up. I mean, it's just cra- crazy things like that. Where hey, we have these huge expectations of us, but there are fewer and fewer and fewer people that are going to be able to fill the shoes that are being that are being you know jumped out of. And it's unfortunate, and it's unfortunate, and it's and it's kind of sad. But what gives me hope is that I'm I you know I talk to you know probably hundreds uh, of people a year, may- maybe even more, 
and there are some people out there, business owners, you too. Um, I know you want you guys are very unique, but there's other people, maybe not to the extent that you guys have as far as knowledge base, but that are searching for something, right? That that know there are issues, that know that something's going on, but they also have faith that there is a that there is an option. And I think one of the options, as far as philosophically speaking, is to maybe do some of the things that you guys have done with your life. Okay, why don't you maybe take a moment and talk a little bit about what? Not a huge, you know. Well, when I was four years old, and you know, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about you know what what your history is and what got you intrigued with economics or, or philosophy, because all all of us are, are on a pretty you know even keel as far as as far as philosophical base. And that that I'm I'm glad you you brought that up because we're raised in a herd mentality where we're all wanting to go this same direction where we've been taught that that education comes from a building that you go into. And what I realized toward the tail end of my education was I learned a lot of, of technical skills. I'm, I'm an accounting major. I knew how to balance books. I knew how to, to, to do debits and credits and, and prepare financial statements. But that was, that was really about it. And while I had a liberal arts education, um, it, I realized for me that it was self-education that was going to take me the rest of the way. And I was fortunate enough to have a good enough program that I was in where I learned how to learn. But that, so for me, it became self-education and I started to, to read anything that I could get my hands on and, and I gravitated into economics. Uh, I mean, I was in a business-based degree, so mm-hmm. that, that's what warmed me up to yeah. it. But, but that's the direction I went. So I, I, there are a lot, of, a lot of great sources. I won't drop names for all of them, but... Mm-hmm. but that that's what did it for me. So I'm I feel like I've learned more in the last two or three years than I did in the entire time I was in school, as wow. far as building a, a base from which I can operate. And 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 I'm grateful for the technical skills I learned, but I was very felt I, I lacked significantly in that. So I I picked up books and read them myself. And then it's so great that we've got the internet. And access to podcasts and access. I mean, the three mm-hmm. guys can sit here in a room and put this out, yeah. so so other people can can. So it was that for me. It was podcasts. It was it was blogs, uh, economics blogs, and it was it was self education mm-hmm. in through reading books that yeah. that got me to where I am. Where do you, how do you think that positions you right now? I mean, obviously you're in a, you're in a specific you're a specific field, and you have you know drive. You're, you're I mean, we're all really young, so obviously we have a, a pretty long future ahead of us, hopefully. But you know, with, with what you've learned right now, what type of impact do you think that's going to have on your on your future? Maybe not necessarily financially speaking, but you know, in, in society as a producer, as one who creates value for others. Uh, exactly. From a financial aspect, I have yet to get a paycheck for my extra education. Right. <laughs> that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's about being ready when this change happens. That's what I look forward to as cynical as that sounds that's mm-hmm. not what i meant but no. that's what i'm preparing for mm-hmm. and i believe i will be flexible enough to be able to find a way to continue to produce as calamities happen whereas we all know somebody who is 55 and out of a job yeah. but who is highly qualified yep. who has a resume that looks the way it needs to look but is unable to gain employment yep. and that problem is only going to get worse and so if you go to school and follow that, you can have a great resume, but you will not get, be guaranteed employment yep. 
from my perspective, the more you learn, the more you know, the more flexible you can be and the more valuable you will be to somebody because you can add value in in more than just the way your degree says that you're allowed to. Cool. Trevor, how about you? Uh, well, I, I'm just like most people out there, you know, I was public public education, went to high, high school and then, you know, was taught you got to go to college, you got to get a degree, hang that piece of paper on the wall, you know, and that's what's going to give you give you long-term success, you know. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I did. You know, for me, um, I, I looked at, from a logical standpoint, what was the safest thing for me to do? I gravitated towards dentistry where I could make a good income. Um, but, you know, as I started to go through, through my education and open up to things, I was always naturally uh, interested in politics. And I looked more into politics and started to realize that it really wasn't the, the congressman or the senator or the president of the United States who, who affected things. It was really economics. Yep. It, was, it was an economic issue yep. and started looking at the Federal Reserve and then got more involved, uh, you know, reading Ron Paul and things like that. And then this is nothing new. You know, you've talked a lot about the Von Mises Institute and FEE, uh, Foundation for Economic Education. and and reading some of those things that really opened up my eyes to what was really going on out there. And, and you know, uh, like, like Brad was saying, you know, it's not so much a monetary thing that happens. Although I will admit, I think a lot of the decisions that I've made in my career thus far, uh, based on, you know, sound economic principles or Austrian economics, have benefited me yeah. financially yeah. Um, in my career. But more than anything, um, you know, it, it enables you to see through the talking heads on CNN or Fox News, and you're able to, to really understand what's happening and why it's happening. And then you can, you know, help prepare yourself individually, your family, um, your friends, your community, um, and helping them to get prepared and kind of understand what's going yeah. on. So. I think I think the both you pointed out something really important, which is just the, the principle of awareness. I mean, the, the more you know, the more you realize, and the more... You hear things, you know, maybe a certain decision or a headline on, you know, MSNBC or, you know, Market Watch or something on the news. You understand what it means. You understand the, the implications. If this decision is made, you understand what's going to happen as a result of that. And I think that comes from, like you said, I mean, just the idea behind economics mm-hmm. and that every every major political decision is based on money. Yep. I mean, b- b- bottom line. And, you know, it still floors me. And Obama, you know, nothing against President Obama. But, you know, lots of times, and President Bush said the same thing, I'm not an economist. I don't understand economics. That's why I have economic advisors. I mean, yeah. that's just, it's a it's a cop-out, and, uh, and it's just, it, it's again, it's delegating something that is so, so important. But the reason why I asked you to share those things is because everybody that's listening right now, we all, we're all different, right? We all have different ambitions. We all have specific talents. But yet I think there is a, a consensus as far as what proper economic education is. Okay, what proper philosophical education is, and I think you can apply that to any field, right? And as things start to happen, as you know, markets change and demographics change, and this happens and this happens, we're able to adapt. Okay, <clears throat> I often say that you know the only certain thing is uncertainty, and you look at those different changes, and we're the, and there's going to be some significant changes. Okay, how are we going to adapt to it? What are going to be? What are we going to do? Are we going to you know cow underneath a our table and you know, hope for somebody else to pick up the pieces, or are we going to do something, do something about it? And so I think our generation is, you know, we're, we're beckoning the call. And you know, Bob Murphy from the Mises Institute is going to be on the podcast probably the next couple of weeks, and he's our age. It's exciting to have somebody of that level of intelligence 
uh, in, in our demographic, somebody that's probably going to be on the forefront as far as you know solving some of these problems. Both of you guys have read you know Tom Woods. Tom Woods is um, <clears throat> you know late late thirties still in our in our you know in our demographic. Okay, it's exciting to have those guys. It's exciting to see them you know on major news channels and voicing their opinions because those they have, they have some sound philosophical ideas. And but at the same time. You want to get these ideas spread to other individuals. And ultimately, you know, the purpose why we're doing this podcast is that you create a system that you have control over. You do things with your money that you have control over. Today, people operate their money like they operate their lives. They expect somebody else to do something that they're not willing to do for themselves or at least maybe not willing to learn to do themselves. Okay. So any final, any final thoughts, guys? We're about half an hour into this. Trevor, I think uh, I think you have a, a wearing that shirt. You're just you were just screaming. Nobody can see it, but you were just screaming to for me to ask you the question about the the significance of that of that shirt. My shirt. I got this. I was in New York this summer. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. The the homeland of Ayn Rand, and uh, bought this shirt. It's it's the title page or the cover the cover page of Atlas Shrugged. Which is uh, a great novel. If if anyone who's listening hasn't read it, I would highly recommend it. It kind of, it, it it's really I, I would say foundational to what all of us believe. Yeah. You know, it's it's huge. It's it'll change your life. Yeah. So Ayn Rand, A Y N R A N D. I mean, we've mentioned it on here on here before. <clears throat> you know, we can definitely get into all the you know specifics of of her you know objectivist philosophy. Um, and you can obviously rationalize the good and bad of because there's some stuff in there that's, that's questionable. But the underlying idea behind Atlas Shrugged and that pretty significant novel is uh, is overwhelmingly significant today, just based on what's going on and the lack of education of individuals and the and the cowers and the individuals who are the the you know the blamers the 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 mooters the looters and moochers. Yep. <laughs> so so yeah, it's kind of a shout out to that. And, and I guess my final thought on this is in no way do I want to discount a, a, a professional degree or because there, there's necessity to that and there's mm-hmm. value to that. Yep. But it doesn't stop there. And the people teaching us, whether there's a conspiracy there or not, there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I'm going to go more benign route and say the people who are in power and teaching us aren't getting it right. That's mm-hmm. obvious. So why keep listening to them? Let's go and, and learn for yourself. Yep. If you end up agreeing with what's out there today, go for it. Yeah. If, if you're like us and, and disagree to an extent, mm-hmm. and then great. Yep. But, but go get educated yeah. before you make a decision. Don't just listen to some talking head on CNN or Fox and, and go it. either direction. Yep. But go find out for yourself, become educated, and that, that has to come from yourself. Yep. And uh, take the time, go do that, and be ready to contribute to whatever side it is that you take you at know, that point. I kind I call it the the why theory. I mean, I I always ask myself, well, wh- why do I do that? Why do I do this? Why do I? And just reverse engineer until you understand why the heck you're doing what you're doing. Okay, why am I in this profession? I have money. Why do I want money? I want security. Why do I want security? Because I'm fear of of you can you can reverse engineer the, the your your motivations to do everything. Okay, and ask yourself those questions. And like you said, don't maybe because some guy sounds good on on Fox News and he's you know semi you know good looking or whatever, and you're like, wow, he sounds cool and he looks good and he's you know he he talks credibly. He must be right. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's a guy on the other news channel that's saying the exact opposite of him, and you know it sounds as, as eloquent as the other guy. Okay, figure out why you believe the way you believe. Why are you going to school? And and you know, and I think it's going to tell a lot about yourself. And I think too, you know, there's there's something to be said for track record. You know, there's a saying in religion that, you know, how do you tell if a prophet is a true prophet by their fruits? Yeah. Well. Look at the fruits. I mean, look at what look at some of the predictions that have come out of the Mises Institute yeah. that have come true. Yeah. You know, there's YouTube videos of Ben Bernanke was wrong yeah. and uh, Peter Schiff Peter, was Peter right. Schiff was right. <clears throat> and so you look at some of these things, and you know, I think our society today we have such a short memory. Yeah, we re- we we remember things from last week, and that's about it. Yeah. But if you go back six months, twelve months, eighteen months from now. And look at some of those predictions that were made, or in some of those statements that Ben Bernanke made, and who was right? Yeah. I mean, today we look at those situations. So, you know, it's not just it's not just who sounds the best or looks the best. It's it's who has a good track record. Yep. Great point. Great point. Well, we need to do part two of this one of these days. Maybe <laughs> next. Uh, maybe next Christmas when everyone's in town. But I really appreciate you guys coming on and taking the time during this you know holiday week to to be on the podcast. Uh, for those of you, again, who uh, are listening for the first time, our website's www.paradigmlife.net. <clears throat> it's www.paradigmlife.net. Uh, you can also give us a call if you want more information about our company. Our phone number is 800-870-8670, or our email address is info at paradigmlife.net. Uh, that's all for today. We'll talk to you next time.